A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiya, this is Dan from the Square Ball Podcast. Uh, International Week this week, so we've uh, not got a right lot to get our teeth into. So we thought we'd give you this, uh, a bonus edition of the Extra Ball, our new subscription monthly paid podcast here on the main podcast feed. If you haven't yet checked it out, it's $2.99 a month, but your first month is completely free. So have a listen to this, and if you like it, please do go sign up at thesquareball.net forward slash the Extra Ball. The Square Ball Podcast. Well, hello to you and welcome to this episode one of The Extra Ball, our brand new venture into podcasting. I'm Dan Moylan and with me is the usual two, Michael Normanton. Hello. And Daniel Chapman, Moscow White. Hello. Well, this is exciting. Doesn't it all feel new and different? And Feels exactly the same so far. Feels very similar, yeah. To get us going in this new venture where we're going to seamlessly dovetail it into the main podcast, we need to go back to the start, we decided, didn't we? Coming off the back of a big victory against West Brom. Nice parallels with when we launched the very first podcast, which was, can you remember the exact date? Oh, of the podcast. I mean, I remember the date of the match before. Did we do it the day after? We was did. it January 4th, the date I should be remembering? Never mind January the 3rd. The 4th is much more important, much more memorable. Yeah, that was it. Monday the 4th of January 2010, straight off the back of Beckford's famous winner at Old Trafford in the FA Cup. We thought, let's start a podcast. And we went back and listened to it. And uh, we've come a long way. <laughs> I think it's fair to say since we launched this and it sounded a little bit like this back then Levou a marcação do primeiro agora ele mesmo faz a bola chegar à frente tentou dominar o Beckford saiu o goleirão gol é do Leeds Beckford na saída do goleiro Kuskzak que comparece em grande número no Trafford. 1 a 0 para o Leeds, comecinho de jogo na segunda tentativa do Beckford. 1 a 0 para o Leeds. Beckford. Beckford. That was the guy and that was the thing that springboarded us into doing a podcast and here we are ready to try and make it a full-time thing rather than a part-time drain on our lives. I loved hearing that again. When we decided to go and listen to the first podcast again, after we made the first eight minutes or so, Boring, really. Wasn't into the first eight minutes at all. Not, nothing yeah, of nobody, interest. Nobody spoke apart from me and Dan, I don't think, in about the first, first, might have been six or eight minutes, I can't remember, but I remember listening to it thinking, why is no one else talking? I was thinking the same and I realised it was because nobody else had been to the games. And in those days you didn't get all the streaming, did you? Oh, it was it was all black and white back then. Stockport away, I think was yeah. one, and then it was... Obviously, we had seen the Old Trafford match because that was on the telly. Certainly, I wasn't following you then to Exeter away because that was the other thing that struck me was how footloose and fancy-free Michael's exotic globe-trotting lifestyle sounded at that point. Free of cares, free of worries, 
free of wives? Did you have yeah, a wife at that I point? Didn't have. I certainly didn't have a wife. I had a girlfriend who was soon to become a wife. But mm. you know, it was those days when you could you could do what you wanted. It was like I'll see you on Saturday. Might not. Turns out I'm going to Stockport. Turns out I'm going to Exeter. Yeah. But yeah, after that boring start, when it did get to uh, that Brazilian commentary, isn't it, on Beckford's goal, suddenly the uh, I felt the, the tingles up and down my spine. It still sounds good, that. It's one of those memories, it's one of those things I'd forgotten about all the January 3rd. Obviously, it gets remembered every year, but I'd completely forgotten that we had that beautiful bit of commentary that went around that just made everything... It's a little bit better. If only we'd taken the initiative then and just gone like, let's turn Leeds United into a South American-based club. I've never heard a commentator say it, unfortunately, but I'm assured that Woodgate in Portuguese is something like Woodgate, which is quite nice. I'm, I'd like to bring him back just for that. He's up there with Shackleton. <laughs> you mentioned there the progress and march of time. Uh, I mentioned in that first one around the Old Trafford victory that my daughter at that time was 16 months old and I cheered when Beckford's goal went in. To such an extent that I upset her. Said child is going to be 11 soon. That's uh, that's frightening. And now owns a mobile phone and an Instagram account. So that's all vaguely terrifying, isn't it? And if the same passage of time again, she's going to be leaving home and stuff. Think about that. Oh, she doesn't live with us now. We just keep her in the garden and... It's for the best. Throw some scraps out now and again. She can text you if she needs anything. It's a traditional Bradford upbringing you're giving her. <laughs> One thing that I noticed from that first podcast as well, in it we were um, remarking on the price of tickets. And uh, do you know how much the tickets were for that Old Trafford jaunt? Did you remember this bit of the podcast when you listened back? It seemed good value. I remember after the, after the game, I remember thinking it was good value. But it was, uh, was it 40 quid? Yeah, 41 pounds it was. £41. And you were slightly appalled at paying 41 quid tickets and said, I don't want to go back to the Premier League because it's 41 quid. <laughs> I'd stand by that, sort of. At the time as well, we drew comparisons with Leeds and we were appalled that Bates's Leeds were charging £32. Imagine that now. It's not hugely more than that for a lot of games now. It's just that Bates was absolutely ripping the piss out of people in 2010 in League One. Um, and we're, we're sort of just about reaching parity with uh, 35 quid tickets or whatever it is at the top of the championship. And we have now got a squad with some money invested in it, whereas the Bates League One team, I think the most expensive player in there was probably Snodgrass or someone who about 300 grand. Uh, another thing that came out was you, uh, Moscow. Another mm. sign of things to come is that you were trashing Kasper Ankergren over his crosses. It's almost like, given your video that you released for Bailey Peacock Farrell, you know, when he was coming through to take over... You make it sound like a sex tape. Videval. <laughs> I did, I, I did not release a video of Bailey Peacock Farrell onto the internet. You enticed him back to a travel lodge and you made a video of him. Anyway, moving on. Yes. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that you've had it in for goalkeepers for many years because you were trashing Casper Ankergren over his crosses. Ad- be- admittedly, you were praising his good saves on the day, but... To be fair, I did always have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Casper uh, Ankergren because do you remember before he used to take a goal kick? He used to whack his studs off the goalposts every single time. And because Ellen Road League One days was not necessarily always full and always loud, it just used to go right through me. It was like somebody scratching their nails down a blackboard. Reverberate around that empty south stand. Clack, clack, clack. Enforced. Clack, clack, clack. Just, it would drive me up the wall. So his qualities as a goalkeeper after that were kind of then. I mean, and we had Shane Higgs was, uh, I think I'm sure he got mentioned on the podcast about having a really strong start and then being unlucky. So he was kind of our reserve keeper making comeback. However, I'm always willing to give people a, a, a second chance. And when Kasper Schmeichel turned up, the smug son of a scummer acting like he owned the place, I then, 
I reassessed. I, I, in retrospect, I've always preferred the original Casper over that uh, smug scum sunk git who I never want to. Probably a better keeper, but it's not always about being a good keeper. It's about being a better person. And uh, Casper So, so you hate Billy Peacock Farrell as a person as well? <laughs> That's what you're saying? <laughs> he was smiling on uh, Friday night. He's now my, my header on Twitter. If you go and look at my profile, it is now a photograph of Bailey Peacock Farrell with a big grin all over his sweet chubby face with his arms in the air celebrating Alioski's goal, proving that uh, perhaps he does have a soul capable of enjoyment after all. Definitely highlight of the podcast was this one though. And this came from your sweet, naive mouth, Michael. Sounds vaguely sexy. (laughs) Well, you can tell that you've grown up and matured and become far more cynical since maybe it's marriage and parenthood that's done that to you. But these were your words back in podcast one. I think, I think that's something else we've really set in this year that it must be depressing for other teams to watch us. Having to see us like at Stockport, for example, they must've been, Norwich and Charlton have been looking at it think, with five minutes to go thinking oh Leeds are going to drop points here against bottom of the league unexpected bonus for us and then we inevitably sort of go and, go and bag a winner and I think they must be now thinking it's between those it's between the two of them for second place rather than going for the championship still So how did that 2010 season pan out Michael in terms of first and second place? We had a good old tussle with Norwich um, I also said you've obviously not got the clip of it when I said we need to go on a properly bad run now to fuck up promotion which at half time of the final game of the season we had done we'd really tried our best See um, everybody points to the the aftermath of like the the excess of beating Scum and then the the FA Cup run playing Spurs Jermaine Beckford's contract situation his transfer request all that kind of as derailing our promotion challenge almost were you None of that. It's just you saying that. That was the problem. We did get blamed for the podcast curse. I think that's where it began, wasn't it? That people were blaming us for it. Episode one, basically, as soon as we had released a podcast, everything in the world of Leeds United went completely wrong. So while sort of harking back to the first one we ever did as a celebration of how we're starting up another one, really, we are just, I think we're summoning bats out of hell or something. We're raising demons that probably needed to be left resting. But um, don't cancel your subscriptions, kids, because it's definitely going to be worth sticking around. At least now, Michael, you are in our normal main podcast, trashing all our promotion hopes and you've written it off. And what's changed? Why are you more cynical now, do you think? Partly because of that season. I've seen us mess it up under Monk and Christensen as well. Under um, Grayson as well, that first year, we got up to third. We looked kind of well in place for a playoff position. Uh, That all fell apart. I think life's just got a lot more difficult since then. And I've realised that you can't just take yourself off to Exeter on a weekend without there being consequences. And the resultant depression from that has um, just led to uh, some some reflection on the way I think about things. And did you go to that Exeter game? <laughs> I did. I think we lost as well. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure we lost. I think we lost 2-0. And it was an open terrace that got pissed on, as I remember. Is that the one where there was a crush at the front as well? There was, yeah, because Exeter have got... Like they had an A-turn style. Or they had something. Yuri Geller in charge of uh, the crowd safety. <laughs> just bend a few more in there. That's, those barriers are supposed to do that. If everybody just thinks orange, we'll all get out alive. And you also, Michael, confidently predicted a win in the home game against Wickham, which, how did that turn out? Well, we drew one all, but we should have won, probably. That was the return of Michael Dubry that game. Jesus Christ. We have come a long way. Where's Dubry now? Is he up to anything? Is he in football? I can't imagine he is. He wasn't really in football when he was in football, was he? He was doing some weird little motivational videos for a while, interviewing people. And there was one where I'm sure he was like messing about with a magician on the street and it had loads of fire, this like special dream. effects all over it and stuff. I swear it was not a dream. I will, we'll find this for the next, next one and I'll force you to watch it. Meanwhile, do you know what else was happening in 2010? 
chap called Marcelo Bielsa was in charge of the Chile World Cup squad that year. South Africa, wasn't it, 2010? I bet he still had videos of Leeds games that he'd been watching on the off chance. Just in case, just to be thorough, in case there was a maybe someone with a Chilean grandparent or something who he, he could be missing out on. They were knocked out that year in the second round in a comprehensive 3-0 defeat to Brazil. I'm sure they did it with style. Oh, and to be fair as well, Chile had never even, I think it was the first time they qualified for a World Cup in donkey's years. Um, so even getting out of the group, they were absolutely, it was one of the greatest achievements. It's what he's he's remembered for losing uh, 3-0 to Brazil as a god and a saint, much as he'll be remembered um, as a god and a saint in Leeds for losing 3-0 to Preston in the playoff final. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here on the Extra Ball Podcast, we want you to steer our direction and we want to have you featuring as well. You can send us a voice message to this number, 07899. Triple five four five nine. If you're outside the UK as well, just chuck a four four on it and drop that zero. Oh seven eight double nine triple five four five nine. Or if you fancy it, record yourself like a voice message and then email it to podcast at the squareball.net. We want voice messages as well, because then we can get your voice on the podcast and you can ask us the question. We assume you've all got lovely voices. Beautiful unlike ours. So it'd be nice to have some proper speakers on. Maybe Pat Bamford might ring us one day. Hello, chaps. That'd be nice. Thank you to you. If you did send us a question, voice memo or whatever, please do keep them coming. We'll get through them and get them here on the podcast. But the honour of the first question, making it to the podcast, falls to Ross in Gosport. Who is your most hated Leeds player? And if it's not Michael Brown, why isn't it Michael Brown? I mean, man makes a good point. Man has a lovely voice as well. So that's to his credit. Very easy to hate Michael Brown, but he's just, he's a bit too, he feels a bit too insignificant to be the most hated, is my opinion. Did we hate what he stood for more than the man himself? What did he stand for? Warnock. Being a dickhead? Yeah, just Warnock, kind of that era. Just I don't, Although it wasn't Warnock who signed him, of course. It was actually Grayson. Warnock, Warnock did that 
shithouse move where he played him until he triggered a contract extension, then never played him again. I think that made, which wasn't, well, it was kind of his fault. And Grayson signed him out of desperation. It was only when he realised that Andy Fye actually physically could not move and would not move to just go and try again in that desperate search for a Mickey Doyle replacement that went on after we got promoted. To think if we just kept Michael Doyle, who nobody really rated, or it probably was a lot of people would say they disliked him as an answer to this question, not to a Michael Brown level. If we just kept him, I reckon we might have got promoted that first season. And it certainly would never have seen Michael Brown anywhere near the club. I could tell I didn't like Michael Brown because normally if one of your players kind of goes in and hurts someone a bit, you kind of, you get up for it a bit. Whereas with him, I just think, oh, don't be a dick. There was a game away at Charlton Athletic. It was the one that was delayed for rain by about 20 minutes when Ross McCormack, I think, scored Mm. a hat-trick. And it went Brown, Pugh, Brown, these three sliding tackles in one passage of play. You're right, normally you'd be thinking, you know, Leeds getting stuck in. But in those conditions, that reckless, I was looking at them, I was like, you absolute irresponsible fucking idiots. Like they they were ready to just break somebody's legs for absolutely no reason. Just loose balls in midfield. You've got to have serious point, but you've got to have a little bit of respect for the safety of other footballers. And it just summed it up that they had no regard for anybody else but themselves. Like the question is, if it, if it's not uh, Michael Brown that you hate the most, then who is it? But as soon as you start talking about Michael Brown in any capacity, suddenly you start convincing, actually, yeah, I do hate Michael Brown more <laughs> than I myself into else. it, probably. Yeah, very easily. I mean, the winner of this question is Kewell, obviously, but that's that's not when he played for Leeds. It's easy to hate players when they leave. I think it's better to answer the question as when they were here, because Kewell's crimes are probably far beyond anyone else's dreams, I would think. Even the details of Kewell's leaving, because I had to look at it again, because I've written this book about Leeds Knights history out in August. So I looked at that again. Do you remember how it was announced that he went to Liverpool? He announced it in an Australian TV special for which he was paid something like £20,000 to go on uh, um, this, this Australian TV channel and be like, hi, I'm a complete fucking Guess who I'm going to sign for? Watch tomorrow. And then the next I'll day, come right back. In. And then the next day, come back and he'd say, I'm fucking off to Liverpool. It's going to be fucking great. Fuck Leeds. Um, Turn into a cockney as well, I observe. Well, yeah, that happens. So even little things like that, that it wasn't just when he ended up moving to uh, Galatasaray when he could easily have signed for Roma. Oh, no, he screwed us over completely when he left. Yeah. Him and his agent ended up with the majority of the fee, I think, or certainly an incredibly large slice of it. Bernie Mandich. Mm. Yeah, because they refused, uh, um, they basically completely took advantage of it as Professor McKenzie and refused to allow any other bids. It just became absolutely clear. And then it, Liverpool ended up paying less than they'd initially offered because mm. they cleared the way all these other clubs and stuff would get lost. Absolute scandal. Yeah, well before um, he signed for them. Disgraceful. Obviously, all the Galatasaray stuff, it transcends football, does that? It's, that's about humanity. He's definitely my most hated for that reason. Brilliant play when he was there. He was amazing. That's the real sad thing. It's hard to watch 99-2000 season review or whatever and enjoy it as much as you should because so many of the good things are from Kewell and you forget just how good he was. Someone put up on Twitter this this week a picture of the Champions League team saying if you can pick one player from that team to put in our team now... Who would it be? And I would probably, as a player, pick Kewell to put in there. Yes, he's ruined a, a lot of those memories of that team. But that team is, has a lot of weird connotations of just how it all ended up for so many of them. And you can't really look at um, O'Leary and Ridsdale kind of embracing each other after a big Champions League win because you know, you know what happened. It's just, if ever a team really pissed on its own legacy, um, it was that bunch. 
Well, I'm going to rewind and point you in the direction of Mark Hazelwood flicking the Vs at the cop, which was at the very start of the Howard Wilkinson era. Moscow, you're a good one for memories. Which game was it? A team in red? It was Warsaw yep. at home, and it was the last home match of the season that of Wilkinson's first sort of uh, three quarters of a season in charge. So if you're not familiar with the story, he was club captain at the time. He was taking a few pelters from the terraces, uh, scored a goal late on and started flicking the Vs to the cop. Uh, Wilkinson hauled him off, didn't he? Substituted him, never played for the club again. Brought on David Batty in his place uh, mm. straight away. And uh, yeah, he was fined. There was some talk of the FA taking action against him, which I think Howard Wilkinson, because he's a solid human being, was kind of like told him to butt out. He said, this is a club matter, I'll deal with him. And he dealt with him by uh, selling him. I tell you what, that's the first player that I remember thinking, I really don't like you. I must have been about maybe 10 at the time, but it's the first one that really sticks in my mind was Hazelwood doing that. Quite literally not the worst of his crimes though, because he is currently in prison for uh, defrauding the government. Just goes to show it was, you could spot a wrong in a mile off. I can't wait for Michael Brown to be sent down for something else. Which, for the record, we'd like to state he is innocent. He might, well, he might not have done it yet. It's not currently He's probably under, thinking about it. Not currently under investigation for any... I'm not even. Just have it. a check if you're if you're if, if there are any police listening to this. Just have a look at him. And if there are any solicitors listening, please advise us. <laughs> Should we have deleted this in the edit? Um, moving on, uh, I had a, an irrational dislike of Nigel Worthington as well, basically because he was the not Dorigo. Because Tony Dorigo was probably probably one of my favourite players, if not the Tony Dorigo was the brilliant. Complete left back. He could run. He was so fast. His tackling, I remember. His crossing. You know, even when you think to the 6-1 against Sheffield Wednesday, Chapman with a header, just pinpoint crosses. He was brilliant. And then Nigel Worthington rocked up. And I, I don't think it is irrational to hate Nigel Worthington. I hated him too. It's bizarre to think Nigel Worthington, when he signed for Leeds, was younger than Cristiano Ronaldo is now. Because <laughs> he seemed at least 50. I mean, I was, when was it, 94? Five-ish. Four, five, yeah, five. So I was like 11. He's not a good player to like as an 11-year-old. I wanted Kevin Sharp in the team because he had curtains. Yeah, I had the same logic. The weird thing with... Uh... That's a haircut, by the way, youngsters. <laughs> yeah, it's, whatever, it's what everyone had in the 90s. It was a very popular thing. The weird thing with Worthington is he was integral to Wilkinson's Sheffield Wednesday team where they played with attacking fullbacks, three at the back, two fullbacks bombing up and down the wings. It was Sterland and Worthington were the two. So, And we all saw how brilliant Sterland was for Leeds. Absolutely pelting down the right wing but I just don't know if Wilkinson just hadn't noticed how old Worthington had become and just thought well if Dorigo's injured which I think he was having some injury problems he needed backup I've got a new uh, I've got a, a new Alioski essentially that's what he had him earmarked for the Alioski role but it, he just couldn't really do anything no. Wil- Wilco's devotion to Sheffield players did sort of drag some quite poor older heads into the team at this mm. point didn't it like, did Beasley come from Sheffield United? And- he did. And the, the quote, and you could sort of see his thinking because the quote with Paul Beasley was, um, he was the only signing he made that summer, uh, 95, 96, so before the, the Coca-Cola Cup final season. And he said, now I've signed Paul Beasley, I can sleep soundly at night. Because <laughs> that was, he was just really just trying to shore everything up with reliable old heads that he knew, good pros. So we had... I mean, players that we absolutely love. John Pemberton was somebody I adored. But that kind of playing and desperate to try and get Richard Jobson. It was uh, Gunnar Haller, eventually George Graham was, made him his first sign, but Wilkinson was always wanting Gunnar Haller. It was like that kind of, I just need some real old people. <laughs> Until um, the other week when Calvin Phillips did it, Paul Beasley was the only player I'd ever seen hit the roof of the South Stand with a shot. But I think it was the Swansea game. That's um, good memory, that. Calvin Phillips did it. What so. business did Paul Beasley ever have shooting? 
I think it was against Monaco in the in <laughs> Europe as well. I've got a weird memory of it. That's just the the absolute weirdness of the mid nineties Leeds is that we got players like Paul Beasley and Nigel Worthington and put them up against Monaco and won. Like to be, and when I um, interviewed Brian Dean in the summer, he was talking about that game and listing the players that were in Monaco's squad, where they had Bartes was their keeper, Basil had, Bolly, because he nearly knocked his head off in the uh, the away leg, as you remember. He did. They had um, Thierry Henry came on as a substitute. Loads of really like incredible uh, European standard players, and we and. If you watch, uh, it's in the next round against PSV, John Pemberton's own goal past... Man, it's uh, majestic, is that goal? It's often, it's often overlooked, is that? Uh, absolute work of uh, of genius. I feel like we were really contributing something to, uh, one, uh, the UEFA Cup as a competition, two, Luke Nillis's uh, goal-scoring statistics. <laughs> you go back to Nigel Worthington, and I think maybe was that the start of our left-back problem, uh, when you consider that he was followed by David Robertson. Again, irrational hatred of him. You think like Stephen Craney... Uh, Larry Capaldi, all those kind of, loads of them. I think it's more accurate to say that Tony Dorigo was just like a temporary pause on our permanent left back problem. Even Terry Cooper broke his leg, couldn't he? So it goes all the way back. But before we'd signed Dorigo, we had that season where it was Whitlow, Kamara, Dylan Kerr got a game, I think, or maybe it was the season after. But every, we were trying, everybody who tried to play left back got badly hurt. Peter Haddock, career ending injury. Dorigo, period of calm. And then just chaos again. Worthington, Robertson. Who else did we play? Ian, left Ian back? Hart had a decent spell there. So people discovered he couldn't run. But to get to Ian Hart, we had to go through Danny Granville. So it was really uh, complicated. So if you had David Robertson was terrible. He is in the news this week as Britain's bravest football manager. There's a documentary that I've not yet watched on BBC Scotland. Have put it on the internet because he is now the manager of Real Kashmir FC in uh, the their home city of Srinagar, where he's been since 2017, which regularly endures violent protests and terrorist attacks. Uh, the situation is so uneasy that the Foreign Office advises against all but essential travel there. Um, See, I never went that far with David Robertson. Didn't like the guy, but <laughs> send him to a war zone. <laughs> There's a quote from him underneath the uh, sort of the preview of the, the programme that says, if I'd never been here before, I'd be trying to get the first flight home. But he seems to be... Uh, Making a success of it. He's better off doing that than he was playing left back for Leeds. Except the airport has been destroyed. <laughs> so I can't get out. I'm trapped. Send help. <laughs> Tell me, Mum. My one of my other um hated players from that same sort of mid nineties era was Ian Rush. Again, I just hated him being so fucking old <laughs> and shit. You mean our, our young winger Ian Rush? He it was a terrible, terrible season he played in and I I looked up that season because I was just gonna double check how crap Ian Rush was. He got three goals in a whole season. But our top scorers that season got five. Brian Dean and Lee Sharp got five. So it was a bad season, but Ian Rush should have con- contributed more Then it might not have been quite as shit. It was the last stand of Carlton Palmer as well, who was probably my uh, my first, if Mark Hazelwood was your first hated Leeds player, I think it was Carlton Palmer. Probably the nearest I ever came to having an actual fist fight at school was the day he signed because somebody <laughs> came and told me we'd sign him. I just wasn't having it. I just refused to believe it and got so irate that it was, it was nearly fisticuffs. But yeah, I did put posters of him on my wall because I was a young boy and it's like what you did, any Leeds United stuff, any poster went up on the wall, but it was the first player where I thought, do I really want this in my bedroom? Not easy to capture on a poster either, is he? Very long, thin man. Yeah, it was always a, an Gatefold. A3 one. Yeah. 
it always had to be an A3 or a gatefold. But what the way I used to get round it was I would put it on the, the wall. And then if there was any kind of stickers referring to David Batty or something, or any opportunity, just kind of graffiti on the poster, pointing out that David Batty was always the superior option at number four. I'd always have that to uh, to look at as I was trying to avoid looking at his face. And he was binned, he was binned off very quickly by uh, George Graham, very bitterly as well. Was, when he came back with Southampton, he was all piped up. He's like, I'm going to show George Graham he should never have let me leave. And he ended up being sent off and being booed off by the Elm Road uh, crowd. Never liked him, never will. This feels like we're straying into the heroes and villains section now, doesn't it, of the main podcast, but let's wrap it up then. We're doing a sort of 95, 96 <laughs> version of it for some reason. <laughs> Any final runners and riders then before we name our, <laughs> our villain? Just a shout out to Luke Varney. It's the only name I really feel I have a pressing need to uh, to get out there. I hate Luke Varney. Well, as a club so heavily weighed down by our own history, what better way to embrace this millstone around our neck than to play an analogue board game released in the 1990s? Do children even know what a board game is? They're about to find out. Do they know what the 1990s is? Again, they're about to find out. The game that we're playing is Leeds United Soccer Supremo. This is courtesy of Oddie, by the way, found and discovered in his loft. Speaking of the first podcast, we should remember that Oddie was an integral part of this podcast uh, for many, many years. And now he's just the, the bestower of board games, but a valuable and older, vital part. Older people like board games, though, don't they? And yes, yeah, so we've taken this off him. <laughs> <laughs> so delving quickly into the rules, we won't blind you with all of them now because, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, delving quickly, it is actually, it's two games in one, um, which confused us for a while. There is a five-a-side game. I mean, it says on the box that it's not suitable for children under three. So that means, I guess, three and up. As an example of the rules from the five-a-side game, the ball does not have to move. The moves available may be used to reposition players. No player need be moved. Instead, the ball may be passed to another player or moved into an unoccupied square as decided by the manager. However, no subsequent movement of the ball by either manager is permitted until the player has been moved into the square containing the ball as part of the moves allowed according to the dice number thrown. And we were like, fuck. But then we turned the rules over. The perimeter game. There is a game where we just have to go around the edge of the board. We don't have to get involved with this weird shooting zone, five-a-side simulation in the middle of it. And this is much more like it. So uh, Soccer Supremo perimeter game. The object is to become the most successful soccer club manager in the area. So I assume we're up against Bradford and Halifax and Huddersfield. Although there are only Leeds players available to buy. Yes, so we're kind of weakening Leeds' team as we strengthen our own. And they are all long since retired. I mean, these days, yeah. I mean, I don't know who would be the young... Batty's probably your best bet on there. Basically, it's the squad that started the title season, actually. So Steve Hodge gets in there, but John Newsom does not, if that helps place place where we are. And so we're each in charge of a, a club, and we are given... I've already counted out the money. We're given a big cash amount with which to build our teams. Dan, here is your... £35,000. Thank you. For you to... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Was that Simon's Warchester, was it? Uh, You need to spend it wisely for Johnny Housen. You can have £50 a week. They are, actually. We've got all these little notes. Each one, for some reason, has a picture of the the big Ben Tower on it, the clock face. Although, a nice note from the the designer on this, they're all set to three o'clock. Kickoff time, traditionally, before before Sky got involved and ruined the game. So we do that, and then what happens is we each roll the dice, we move around the board, and if we land on the face of a Leeds United player, we get to try and buy him. And the objective is to end up with the most valuable squad and also the most money left in the bank. So it is kind of... Ken Bates' wet dream, really, isn't it? <laughs> Try and get the most players possible while still having a big, all oh, the money that Suzanne wants. Let her buy a fur coat. 
don't think uh, Andrea Radrazzani would necessarily buy into this valuable squad and money in the bank. It doesn't work like that. I've not seen anything in the rules about setting up a loss-making TV channel, but uh, this is 1991 we're talking about, so it's... Um, uh, the only Alan Sugar cornered that market at that point with his square, square real dishes. There's another reference that the young listeners won't get. Imagine a square satellite dish, kids, called a square real. How did that not catch on? Right, Moscow, you rolled the high score before we came on air to do this, so you're going first. I am, so grab the dice. Sound effects. Listen <laughs> to that. I have got... Six, five plus one. I'm struggling with the maths already. I've got trying to count some money into us. Um, can I be the blue one, please? So I'm the, the blue little plonker. So it's six places. This is a brilliant start to the game. I have landed on the Leeds United club badge. According to the rules, landing on the club badge or logo squares incurs neither cost or advantage to a manager. They're neutral. So I get to do nothing. Are we all having fun so far? I'm enjoying it immensely. Michael's turn. Been waiting for this. It's an eight. What colour are you going for? I'm going to go black. There are red ones available. Oh, it's a directive card. Ah, we didn't mention those in the rules. There are squares on the board that just have uh, question marks and the base of the question mark is a football and you have to take a directive card. What does it say? Move to the next yellow location. Very much like a Monopoly board. Right around the board. The players are divided up by a colour Codes. The, the red section, they didn't really do the research when they designed this game. I don't know why Lee Chapman and Mervyn Day are in the red section. Who have you landed on there? Mike Whitlow, the one I was hoping for. <laughs> surely, the, surely the prominent member of that title winning team. I haven't actually checked. Are you obligated to buy him or can you just choose to? I think you can just choose to buy him. Talking about our problem left backs. I'm going to have him. I'm going to have him. He's, he's £5,000. <sighs> there you go, darling. Stick that in the bank. <laughs> Well, that's a sensational moment. Mike Whitlow, the first purchase with Leeds United Soccer Supremo. I feel like it's going to be hard to live up to that. We're trying to build a team each. There's only two goalkeepers. I mean, you get around it. It's all about what they're worth. It's not about what they do on the pitch. <laughs> My turn. This is exciting. I've got a seven. So could you move me? Am I the green guy? Batty. Oh, yes. You. Yes. What a sensational start. Can I have the batty card? Is he, uh, oh, he's red though. I don't like that. Can you even afford him? That's the question. I don't know how what the highest value player is. I'll sell bonds in the East Stand, mm. whatever I need to do. Batty is 13 grand. Worth it though. Yeah, just over two and a bit times a Mike Whitlow. Do we need a banker here? Who's going to be in I charge think, of the money? I'm, I think I'm de facto banker. The rules as well are very clear, but the, the banker's duties must be kept separate from his club management duties. <laughs> yes. like, obviously, had, they obviously had a whiff of what George Graham had been up to. And- Strict separation between his football activities and his bank responsibilities. I can be trusted. Come on, give us your money. £13,000 to you then, Moscow, <sighs> Moscow banker. Uh, I've um, not received it. I'm joking. It's in my hands. I haven't even got a player yet. This isn't good. Give us the dice. Do you know what I've just bought? I've bought a combative ball winner with good distribution skills. He's already a favourite of Leeds United fans. who uh, voted him Player of the Year 1991. Undoubtedly destined for further England honours. Do you know what Mike Whitlow says? Beginning to make the left-back position his own when serious injury put a halt to his progress. Absolutely true. Fantastic. Look forward to not seeing him play. <laughs> Give us the dice. Go on. Not leaving here till I've bought a player. What have we got now? Uh, five plus three is eight. <laughs> <laughs> what, which player have you landed on? I've landed on the club badge. I think that means I just buy the club. <laughs> no, no, I'll find just, that in the rules. It means it's my turn and you get fuck off. <laughs> when I said I'm not leaving here till I buy a player, I mean it. Right, six. 
Steve, Steve Hodge. Hodge. I'm assembling a team of also rants here, but I'm I'm happy to just have him so Moscow can't. Well, it doesn't seem like I'm going to have an opportunity to buy anybody. Oh, Steve Hodges, the same price as Batty. England Internationals. He'd been to a World Cup. He got Maradona's shirt. It was £900,000 when we signed him. You've talked me into it. I'm having him. <laughs> he might come good. It's 13 grand. I can afford that. It's no big thing, is it? 13. I mean, that will be £26,000 you spent. You'll have nine grand left. No, no, a bit lower is only five. Oh, I thought he was 13,000. No, oh, okay. that was Batty. Right, right, I'm getting mixed up already. It's a good job I'm in charge of the bank when I can't work out what anything costs. Anyway. Right, the final roll of the dice on this thrilling instalment of Legion United Soccer Supremo. What's it going to bring? It's a double four. That's eight to the layperson. Can't. <laughs> Better check if you get some. I think you get something for a double. Oh, no, it's only a double six. Chris White. Chris White. How much, please? Chris White, 13 grand. There's a lot of them. 13 I'm having grand. him. I'm having him. I think on, on reflection, I think... Um, Whitlow's looking like quite a bargain. I'm going Bielsa-style gung-ho attacking this game. Just buying everyone. One, two, three. Plus 10 is 13. Right. There you go, banker. Thank you. Pleasure doing should business we, with the, you. As we're drawing this to a close for this week, should we just um, look at the squads we've assembled? <laughs> Dan, who have you got? I hate you. Well, let me just run you through the details of my uh, most recent signing, which is uh, Chris White, looking very good. Uh, He's a tall, strong central defender, became an established player with Arsenal, winning England under-21 honours before playing in America. You forget that, don't you, that he went to America? He played indoor football in America as well. He came back to join Brian Talbot at West Brom and quickly became a key defender, signing for Leeds in 1990. He is now an outstanding figure in defence. All true. Steve Hodge, this talented midfield dynamo with excellent goal-scoring ability, was another Brian Clough protégé. Twice at Nottingham Forest, separated by spells at Aston Villa and Tottenham Hotspur, he joined Leeds United in 1991. Considerable experience at England under-21 and full international level. Uh, Moscow, what, which of your profiles will you be reading? I'll read this for you, shall I? £10,000. £5,000. I could just go on. I have. I seem to have a lot of... Another £5,000 note. Game's gone, hasn't it? It's all, all about money now, All isn't these £1,000 notes, the, the lovely blue ones. I like the blue ones. I've got a lot of blue ones with 1000 written on them. All my money. So you can keep your Whitlow and your Hodge and you can keep your Batty and your Chris White. I've got thirty-five grand in the bank. We'll find out next time. Can you actually manage to spend it? <laughs> on to what could surely become a highlight of this new Extra Ball podcast, Warnock or War Not. We're going to throw at you now a... Quote, it might be Neil Warnock or it might be Neil Warnock. Mm. Kind of works. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. So have we got the quote handy? We do. I'm going to have to read it in his voice. I'm still fuming that I didn't actually buy a bloody player in that game. And now you've got to make me think about bloody Neil Warnock. He wouldn't have let that game go around without a couple of transfers at least. And he'd probably have kept all the money as well. Anyway, it's beside the point. Signing all the Mackays. Um, so this is either an actual quote from Neil Warnock or it's not. They get a world beater for 3-1, then Clint, instead of kicking the ball out for a throw, and he tried to shepherd it out. A cardinal sin in my book. The kid did him, and it was 4-1. I was furious. There was no point bowling them out. How often did Paddy and Clint play that badly? It had to be a freak match. Michael, what are you going for? Warnock or Warnock? What do you think? It's maybe a bit play-by-numbers for Warnock. It's it's only a sentence or two. You've got Clint in there, you've got Paddy, you've got him bemoaning the fact someone tried to fuck about with it instead of just kicking it out of play. Mm. And it does go a little bit into kind of gap band territory at the end where he starts talking about it being a freak match. It's like like a Rick James lyric or something. It's a freak match. Another one for the kids there. So what are you saying then? You're saying war knock, are you? I'm, I'm, I'm saying not. Why? On what basis? 
too it's too cliched. Yeah, it does play up to the stereotype very uh, very accurately. It's sort of you know when something's too good to be true, kind of feels that way that it could be a little bit too on point. Like he doesn't do that good an impression of himself, so somebody else may have it. But then at the same time, there is nobody who is quite capable of uh, packing this much Warnock <laughs> into just a couple of sentences, as you say, as Warnock. He doesn't blame um, a referee in it, which suggests it might be um, false as well, because I've never once heard him lose a game and not blame a referee. But do you know what makes me think it is him? The line, the kid did him. That's one as well, because he, he won't even know who that player was for the other team. So he would just have to, it was probably Nigel Worthington in like 2002. The kid did him. So that makes me think that it might actually be Warnock, but I'm, I'm not sure. Do I have to say now? I'd like a commitment from you if a possible. commitment. Yeah, that's him. Freak match and all, that's Warnock. You're saying Warnock, Michael, you're saying Warnock, just to be contrary. Indeed. We'll find out next time. And that brings this one to a conclusion. The first extra ball. Hope you thought it was all right. Uh, we will be back next week to do even more and hopefully get better in the coming weeks. It is weird starting a new thing over like that. We're quite good at the main podcast and then we've got to start a new one. Different but the same. We'll get the hang of it. And I will win Soccer Supremo. Over my dead body. If necessary. Thanks for checking us out and we'll speak to you next time. The Square Ball Podcast. And that was issue one of the extra ball from us here at the square ball. If you enjoyed that, please do go sign up at the squareball.net forward slash the extra ball. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.